Pam 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 Quincy Jones is a fucking genius. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right about that? <laughs> just like not catching what tune you're, you're, you're humming. Like, if I wait, he'll tell me. It's the Sanford and Son theme. It's uh, it's that's Dale Gribble's favorite TV show, Inside the King of the Hill universe. There's two different episodes where you see him sitting in his basement, just like nodding his head along to the theme song because it slaps. I think it's called the the Street Walker or something like that, the Street Beater or something. It's a Quincy Jones song, so it's got some like inscrutably hip name, but right. it rules. It's a great tune. Yeah, <laughs> nice, absolutely awesome. Bum, bum, All right, um, should I probably <laughs> probably start the show? I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to. Work stoppage, everybody. This is a public episode, so if you want to get twice as many episodes of the show per month, check us out on patreon.com slash work stoppage. Uh, if you want to help out the show a little bit more, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to get in the Discord, but in the meantime, uh, I'm John. I'm Lena. I'm Dan. And yeah. we have quite a few stories for you this week. I read the um, reviews the other day they're very good oh, yeah. thank you i want to thank everyone everyone <laughs> Should... for, for that there's like 20 or so of them right now and okay. they all they all That's say awesome. that we're ri- we rip or something <laughs> Sick. well thank Sick. you to the 20 people that did that that rules yeah yeah you're incredibly cool uh and speaking of the opposite of incredibly cool <laughs> it looks like amazon is just straight up hiring fbi agents to be on their security teams in some cases, specifically the security teams that oversee uh, whether or not personnel might be trying to unionize or organize around a labor movement. So that's not super depressing. I mean, at all. I, I'm not surprised that this is a. Uh, a I mean, it's it's pro- it's happening at a lot of big companies. I mean, like they are most certainly doing a lot of this like surveillance of their workforce in order to stop union organizing. Yeah, we're just finally getting uh, write-ups about it in the intercept. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. we've covered in the past them hard, like hiring various security for- firms including the literal Pinkertons um, <laughs> and like you know bringing in all sorts of anti-union consultants. But it is still kind of dystopian to see that like you know, fascistic revolving door that you always hear about with, Oh, you have uh, lawmakers becoming lobbyists. Well, now we've got fucking intelligence agents becoming, uh, Amazon's private security team. Right. Um, There shouldn't have to be intelligence agents, trained intelligence professionals working at Amazon, right? Like the people who like deliver your packages and stuff do not need to be engaging in like, espionage and intelligence relations and like all of the shit that they fucking like it's 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 incredibly shitty because what it really is doing is illustrating the fact that like amazon is in many ways just another wing of the government or like an ascendant government that's 
yeah. slowly becoming more powerful than the actual federal government I, anyway. I actually understand why I got confused for a moment was specifically because later in the episode we're going to be covering um, prison labor. And I was thinking of a, a list of of companies mm. associated with that and then like literally being extensions of the state and how basically <laughs> through all of this reporting we're all just reporting on the state but it just happens to have a bunch of different names like walmart and amazon yeah it's so funny like all those like weird things you hear from old people like if they just ran the government more like a business it's like they're <laughs> letting the businesses run the government that's the most convenient way to fold everything into one for them well, and you'll hear people say stuff like, well, you know, I'm just glad that we don't have a secret police in America. And yet, <laughs> and yet it's cause, because people don't understand what the FBI does. But I mean, Walmart and Amazon understand what they do. Because like they mentioned in this, that in 2012, Walmart developed a centralized surveillance system headed by a yep. former FBI officer named Ken Censor to track employees' activities, sentiment, and political sympathies. That sounds like a state. Um, and yeah. centralized surveillance is, you know. And Amazon has posted job listings seeking an intelligence analyst and senior intelligence analyst, both based in Phoenix, to monitor and collect info on organized labor activist group, quote, hostile political leaders and other is. sensitive topics. And I'll, I'll uh, analyze your fucking intelligence, Amazon. <laughs> you don't have very much. Uh. <laughs> I'm actually, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a hostile political leader because I'm actually very nice if you hang out with me in person. Oh, I'm Fidel fucking Castro. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like. also so funny how this, how Amazon's reaction to this stuff coming out is like, it was a net like when people noticed those job listings, Amazon deleted them. Right. And then after the backlash died down, they posted them again and hired right. two FBI special agents for those those specific jobs. Um, and as or as recently as last month, they put up uh, listings for security jobs at its Goodyear, Arizona site requiring several years of military experience. Oh, lovely. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, they're probably anticipating labor unrest or something. I mean, like, think about how many fucking people they employ. That it's more than the population of a lot of different countries, you know, yeah. around the world. It's like they really are functioning as a state and they're not functioning inside of like even the like shitty liberal capitalist restrictions that we've placed on what a state can and can't do. Like corporate atrocities fly under the radar and it's it's by design and that's why that's why they need an armed guard with military experience at a processing plant uh <laughs> because you know they're worried well, that if they strike it, or whatever yeah how is they they're gonna not gonna have the enough muscle exactly yeah. i mean that's that, what that's that is what the purpose of the police are and to have a private police on on like site is specifically to intimidate workers i mean police are always adversarial towards workers yeah and you'll hear people say stuff like, well, you know, we used to need unions back when, back in the olden days when companies would just, you know, hire militias and private security companies to shoot the workers. But then right. the unions got their winnings and now we don't need that anymore. It's like it's the same fucking thing. They just have a PR department now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. if you want any further proof that it's basically the same thing that it's always been, our next story uh, going into the teacher and nurses roundup is about a co worker 
of of two Texas educators who died of COVID, and then they were subsequently fired for union organizing. And if this doesn't sound like something from uh, an early or mid nineteen hundreds like union struggle in a company town, I don't know what does. Well, they were specifically uh, forming a minority union, which to mm-hmm. me means that they were out in the public with some of their activism. They were saying, "We are a group yep. of people doing stuff," and and through that, they um, and like literally losing one of their members to COVID. When I think about these minority unions and then not being backed up by the other workers, it just seems really weird to me that our culture is is really like goes in that direction. Well, it's like that it's even progressed to the point where something like that would be necessary, right? Like, yeah. That that's the tactic you have left. Yeah. Like one of the things that I learned from reading about this story, because this is, this is a story in Texas um, at a school called Collin College where in July of last year, teachers there formed the Collin College Faculty Association, which is, as, as Lena said, is a minority union. And they formed this to protest the unsafe working conditions at the college during COVID. And the reason they had to form this union is because Texas doesn't allow collective bargaining by any public employees and strikes by public employees of any kind are illegal. Wow. And like any public employees attempting to organize a work stoppage quote, forfeit all civil service rights, reemployment rights, and any other rights, benefits, and privileges the employee enjoys as a right of public employment or former public employment, which, of course, means if you, you know, if you have benefits, you lose those. So, like, that's a really powerful weapon in the state's uh, quiver against uh, people doing this sort of thing. So, like, forming even a minority union that isn't necessarily trying to bargain for a contract, that's still, like, a big risk by these folks. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, that line alone, if you put it in Discord, would get a thousand guillotine emojis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They were they were fired, like, directly after? Or was it... Uh, or, it or was there time? Like, was it, it like, it someone a, died and they realized it was the time to strike? Yeah, so they initially formed this group after the college refused to enforce a mask mandate whilst while requiring teachers to show up in person for classes of course um but they didn't you know they didn't have a ton of traction they didn't hadn't built up a lot of steam until after the president of the college sent out his thanksgiving email being like oh hooray it's thanksgiving the year's been so good by the way one of your co-workers died anyway happy thanksgiving everybody right and just dropped in there that uh wow. one of these folks co-workers a, a woman named uh, iris mita who was a 70 year old uh black nur- nursing professor who had come out of retirement to teach home health care workers uh caught covid uh, while on the job and passed away and the first announcement that these folks got about it was as like a throwaway paragraph in this thanksgiving email from the president Damn. and that really spiked membership in the minority union to really grow because it uh, understandably incensed a lot of the people that this is how you know how little the if you die you're gonna be swept under the rug yeah and and just as they were about to have uh, their first recruitment meeting, this was back on January 28th, um, the school called in uh, Audra Heaslip and uh, Dr. Jones, who you mentioned, who are the secretary and vice president of the union. They were called into separate meetings and told that their contracts would not be renewed, which essentially fired Yeah, them. Dr. Suzanne Statler-Jones uh, said that... Uh, Faculty are terrified right now. Morale is at an all-time low. It's scary. We told these prospective members what had happened, and almost all of them were like, 
it's okay. We're in. So I think this is also something that like the, the, the school is like running scared, right? Like they know that these teachers are very interested in this union and like they're feeling that this is like a potential outlet for them because it looks like what a hundred Jones herself helped organize 120 of them. I don't know how many people work at the school, but 120 is no small feat for one person. Oh my God. So I did, I did look up how many, uh, how much staff there is at this college and it says that the total is 842. That is probably including management. Um, there's full-time faculty at 541. And if you imagine about 120 out of 550, it's a, it's a pretty, like it's a moving percentage up towards real action. Um, I mean, it would make sense that they would bury this. That's enough people to really put a dent in, especially like i think that's enough people to to get a mask mandate passed right like it's like dan said they're not they're not asking for a a huge raise or an increase in benefits they literally just want everybody in the building to be wearing masks so that they can all be a little bit safer yeah but i mean they do seem to at least be uh be trying to take this obvious awful situation in stride and, and turn it into organizing because they, they did have another quote in here from Heaslip who said sometimes the really crappy things that happen actually serve as a kind of motivation for better recruitment and I hope that people will see the truth that the college is willing to do just about anything to maintain this kind of authoritarian fear-based culture yeah, yeah. so hopefully those firings you know just continue to build momentum and they're able to to really build those demands and and, and get those through well, speaking of authoritarian fear-based cultures, uh, <laughs> West Vir- a bill in West Virginia um, that is being introduced by West Virginia Senate Education Committee Chairwoman Patricia Rucker is <laughs> apparently going to allow schools to fire teachers if they decide to go this on strike. This is absolutely so, fucking great. I love this. I mean, this is, spurred, this is fucking spurred on oh by the success of Prop 22 and uh, many other pieces of legislation around the country that are currently being used to disenfranchise workers in the midst of a pandemic, uh, often using the pandemic perversely as justification. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where I think unions are just going to have to start accepting that wildcat strikes are going to have to kind of become the new normal Yeah, as, as, as states try and tighten the noose around what unions can and cannot do. Yeah. yeah, and they're they're going to well, keep getting these things through too. I mean, like the Democrats aren't interested in supporting labor, no matter how much they want to no. like give give mouthpieces to it. You know, right? Well, and something that I mean, I think in some ways that's good, right? Like it's not good that unions have been pushed into this position where they have to rely on things like wildcat strikes. But if they embrace that, uh, you know, if they embrace this crisis as an opportunity, I think they can really get somewhere because. Wildcat strikes are like one of the most direct forms of democracy, right? And like, ideally, we talk about this all the time, like recognition of a union should just start at a card check. Like you should be able to do relatively instantaneous democratic processes among your union and start getting results as as a cooperative immediately. And, you know, that's that's one of the things that you're going to have to do when you're going up against these really big organizations and one of the only one of the biggest tools in your kit because you as a much smaller organization than whatever company you're unionizing against 
you have one of your only advantages is that you move much faster than them. They have to have meetings and send emails and make phone calls and shit. And you can all just kind of get together in a big Zoom chat, vote on something and immediately move forward with it like a strike. Yeah, that's, and that's a really good way of kind of putting the how organizing is changing in modern times through uh, the use of those digital technologies. Though it's also, I mean, it's good to be safe and to make sure that you're not being recorded and and things like yeah. that. So I mean, if you could get together and do it in person safely, obviously I would recommend that. But just yeah. not right now. Yeah, of course. I I but I I love that. I love the I love the idea that you know we're just voting on voting on strikes in uh in meetings it through, even through like text chains and stuff like that. I've I've seen um, organizing through text chains. So the, apparently. I don't know if we talked about this already, but the other provision in this bill that's really fucked up is that even if they don't fire the teachers outright, if they're engaging in a strike, county boards of education can order the prorated salary or hourly pay of a public employee to be forfeited for each day of their participation in a strike. So if right. they don't fire you outright, like if you if they like they're like, oh, we can't really replace this person, they'll just bleed you out until they force you back to work. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those things. It's kind of like we were saying in the the other story. It's like it hard, like all strikes used to be illegal, right? And they it, it took strikes to get strikes to be legalized, and it's going to take more strikes to get stuff like the Pro Act passed. So, and and I I like the fact that quoted in here, um, uh, Dale Lee, president of the West Virginia Education Association, said, "We haven't had the right, so to speak." to strike the last two times we've had a work action. Our people understand that if things get bad enough, they're willing to take the risk. And like, I think like probably a lot of our listeners remember, cause like, yeah, like West Virginia isn't the biggest state, but like those teacher strikes that they had in 2018 and 2019 were huge. Like yep. those created waves that like got a bunch of uh, strike actions done like around the country for, and as always, it's just for like, they're getting paid absolutely nothing. Their health insurance costs are constantly going up. And then the last one that they did was over a plan by the state to essentially get around this by privatizing the school system, by funneling money into charter schools and their strike stopped the bill. And then the legislature waited until the school year was over and passed the bill anyway. Right. So yeah, of course. Like, yeah, and I, I do want to go back to the the stipulation in the bill that actually allows the like removal of the salary, you know, per, for while these people are participating in the strike. And I just want to remind everyone that teachers work overtime without being paid constantly. Like it yeah. would be something yeah, to if 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 it was like you didn't go to work and so you didn't get paid or something like I can imagine that, that argument not like being brought up. Uh, pretty easily and, and i mean sure it is if you ever see this article posted somewhere on facebook or some other uh place but then always we always have to remember that teachers work for free constantly yeah they're one of the only professions that are not like self-employed or management or whatever that are expected to take their work home with them after work hours and continue working on it unpaid grading right. papers designing class rubrics like we really subject them to this to to all the hours that a student is supposed to be learning, they have to be teaching, including homework time, in which case, you know, much of the time the teacher will spend, you know, many 
factors more amount of time designing homework and, and rubrics and such than the than the children will actually have to do. All of that on top of the stresses of being an adult with a job and bills and a family, et cetera. Absolutely. And a lot of times having to contribute their own money to buy school supplies because exactly. the school district isn't buying shit and leaving kids with like one textbook from 1967 for 10 students. Exactly. I actually had a book. Uh, well, no, I think I had a set of books that were all from exactly 1967. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's so it's, funny. They, especially the math books, they never update those. They're like, this shit doesn't change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which to some degree is fair, I guess. But uh, moving on from the incredibly difficult conditions that teachers are facing, we have a bright spot. Uh, these taxi workers in New York City actually shut down the Brooklyn Bridge last Wednesday, the 10th, uh, demanding debt forgiveness due to the high operating cost of medallions and low ridership. And if you don't know about the medallion system in New York, that is a transferable license that is actually stamped onto the taxi, I believe, or riveted onto the taxi to demonstrate that you are a licensed taxi operator. So people buy these up and then they essentially scalp taxi licenses and there's a whole like system. There's like a landlord system for your taxi driver. Well, they're like, think PS5 scalpers and stuff trying to legitimize their businesses. Like that's the kind of industry that people have been operating, just moving licenses around, like not producing any value for anybody whatsoever. Yeah. And like they noted in this that Understandably, I mean, ridership has been down 80 to yes. 90% during the pandemic, which which totally is understandable. But um, th- at the same time, these taxi drivers and, and taxi workers are still facing the same upkeep costs, the same debt, uh, like man- like payments they're supposed to be making for these medallions and all like all these other costs that come as a part of operating as a, a taxi driver. Uh-huh. And so without the money coming in, you have tons of these people like, you know, going bankrupt or losing their homes. Uh, and, and so the primary uh, point of this action, um, which was performed by the New York taxi workers Alliance, which is a 25,000 member uh, organization of the taxi workers, um, just basically demanding uh, debt forgiveness and a cap on uh, loans for medallions as well as uh, the interest rate. Yeah, and, and that's awesome. I mean, like, th- honestly, they shouldn't even have to deal with all this archaic bullshit to drive their taxis anyway. A taxi driver should not have to think about, like, signing a contract that includes an interest rate and, like, monthly payments of an amount. Like, literally, if they have a driver's license, just certify them to drive a fucking taxi and, and let them operate, like, straight up. Why, let's let's retra- Let's get this the triple the bus system and retrain them as bus drivers. That would work, too. <laughs> well, well, that's the other thing is, like, everybody always talks about all these, like, you know, liberals and right-wing liberals that <laughs> call themselves conservatives. Right. Um talk about how like you can't do things with the state you got to do stuff privately it'll be more efficient but like this whole medallion system is the most complex batshit way to get around just having a state taxi agency that employs drivers directly like yeah there's literally no reason not to do that except the ideology of you know free market capitalism well it's easier to hide the money when the money isn't publicly quote-unquote publicly funded so even though it might technically be a little harder to scam the money off of us than it is to get it through our taxes, 
uh, once they have it, they don't have to admit how much of it they got. So they can right. get away with taking more of it without people getting upset. I think that's really like the core, the core thing, because it's always this. It's always like, oh, how do I become such and such thing? It's like, do I fill out a form and get approved? And it's like, no, there's a series of staggered waiting periods, multiple yeah. forms. You have to meet with somebody. You have to become like certified in this thing that's not re like relevant to your job. But there's always like so many hoops. And all those hoops are are just people who have like really fulfilled the American dream in the truest sense, which is that they've seen consumers trying to get from point A to point B and they're like I bet I could put a fucking toll booth right there between <laughs> those two places and charge a yeah. little extra along the way yeah and so this action um, so they blocked the bridge and then they also held a rally outside uh, Chuck Schumer's home in Brooklyn hell yeah um, which then led to Schumer issuing a statement saying, quote, I stand with the New York Taxi Workers Alliance and their urgent mission to forge a financial lifeline for their hard-pressed members to restructure medallion debt, salvage their future retirement, and have a fair chance at earning a living wage for all their many hours behind the wheel. Oh. So they've at least gotten some lip service from him as well as uh, a New York State Assembly member. Uh, I hear that. House calls work. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is uh, not a new idea or anything, but have <laughs> the unions tried protesting in front of politicians' houses instead of in front of the factories and places where they work? Yeah, because like, in addition, New York State Assemblyman, whose name I will mispronounce, uh, Uline Nyo, um, said on, on the same day that uh, the predatory lending that was condoned by the city and state used to help some folks and hurt others was designed to trap people in a cycle of debt. Yeah. Oh, that's geez. true. Transportation and logistics. Imagine that. <laughs> well, and it's debt. like, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, also like a, a lot of taxi drivers are immigrants, people who come here and that's one of the only jobs that they can get as long as they have a driver's license or whatever. So it's, it becomes a predatory industry and then there's a racialized element to that. And then there's, you know, there's the whole issue on top of that, which is that we have these taxi drivers unions who are really good about standing up for themselves, but they're being undercut by Lyft and Uber right. all the time. Right. And like this medallions program, whoever's in charge of like determining how it's regulated, I'm sure they would like nothing better than to see all the taxis in New York city replaced with Ubers and Lyfts as soon as possible. Oh yeah, absolutely. So they, it's really cool to see, you know, any dimension of fighting back against that as well, not to be a Luddite, Actually, but actually the Luddites were kind of cool. So, you know, <laughs> they kind of ripped. So, well, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, it, it, I have to put it in context. I mean, it, we have to think about like it, the, the Uber and Lyft system is like an exploitation system that is like more that that is more exploitative than this system. So, I mean, it makes sense to be against that. Yeah, uh, I it's, think it's that just it, funny because. I think a lot of people would point at it as being like more generally technologically advanced, which it is, but it's a type of technologically advanced that's so far removed from the primary sciences that it's working on that it only is more advanced in terms of exploitation or in order yeah. to reach that advancement in terms right. of exploitation. Because like it could be just as easily you could have an Uber or Lyft app that like literally uh, connects to your map app and then you have oh, your, yeah. your, your state taxi that comes right. and and it's just as easy to do that. You can literally combine you can combine the, the benefits of that system and then like take out the exploitation. <laughs> you can do that. I really feel like I wasted my life in not becoming like a fucking app and 
end API developer because I really just want to like release like uh, Napster, but for cars. And like, it's just like, <laughs> do you need a ride? Just doubt, just torrent a ride from your friend. Uh, <laughs> like that's, we could really have shit like that. It's only like intellectual property and, and huge litigious companies that prevent that shit from happening. That's correct. <laughs> But speaking of uh, schemes designed to trap people in a cycle of debt. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're moving to our main story. Yeah, our our main story this week is on um, everyone's favorite very happy topic, which is modern day slavery. Hey, yeah. uh, and not, not just any slavery, <laughs> right? We're not not just uh, not just your typical everyday wage slavery. No, actual uh, old school, just straight up slavery. Yeah, um, with children, child yeah. slavery. Yeah, the, yeah. It, it seems like it can't get worse, and then it gets worse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, this lawsuit only actually involves eight children who claim that they were used to slave labor <laughs> on cocoa plantations in the Ivory Coast. They're they're all young adults now uh, because this happened some number of years ago. And the the lawsuit targets Nestle, Cargill, Barry Calibo, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but I don't care, Mars, Olam, Hershey, and Mondelez. And it's like, that's, that's the Oreo eight, company. That's eight companies right there. Seven, eight companies. Uh, so it's obvious that this is not just an, an incident relegated to like eight random children. Like there is endemic uh, child slave labor that goes into the production of Well, does that mean that like each one of these kids worked for one of these companies? Cause like, you got to think, I mean, well, that's a lot of companies in that list right. and there's only 12 people in this courtroom. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, the lawsuit is, is systemic because like those eight companies control the vast, vast majority of chocolate production right. in the world. Um, and this uh, this lawsuit accuses uh, those eight corporations of aiding and abetting the enslavement of thousands of children on cocoa farms in their supply chains. And um, this this is being brought by human rights firm, international rights advocates on behalf of these kids who say that they were basically tricked um, by recruiters uh, in their home country in Mali. Uh, they were promised what for them would have been an excellent paying wage, which is horrifying in and of itself, $47 a month, again, as children to go work on these cocoa plantations in the Ivory Coast. Uh, and then when they got there, they were forced to labor and never actually paid uh, for years at a time with no pay. They had no travel documents, so they couldn't go back to Mali. Um they were not told where they were. They weren't told how to get back to where they were, where their families were. Uh, and they were forced to basically uh, do all of the jobs, har- like the dangerous and like backbreaking work of right. harvesting cocoa. And they're, they're, and they're literally using like chemicals and, and extremely dangerous tools that, I mean, if you know anything about labor law um, in, at least in the United States, I mean, like if you're 16, you can't even use a, a meat slicer. And, right. uh, and I think that that's the better, that's the better take. But like uh, these, these kids who are, who are tricked into going because I'm, their families need that $47 a month. And so, and then they are subject to the this enslavement where they aren't paid, and then are also put in the conditions that are literally life threatening. And I'm sure that many of them end up with permanent injuries. Right. Well, and it's like whose responsibility is this? Like they had to name seven of the world's biggest 
you know, cocoa and chocolate companies just to even have somebody to point the finger at because probably the web of responsibility from, you know, the top of the boardroom to the bottom of the the cocoa plantation is so diffuse that like trying to trace who's who's directly, you know, informed of and knowledgeable about what happens at what level is just like not available anymore. Yeah. And like this is that's probably this is like the concern that I have with why I, I'm worried that this lawsuit may not necessarily go anywhere is because the way that these major corporations shield themselves from this sort of thing is by farming out the actual production of the raw materials to subcontractors and like to subcontractors of subcontractors so that they Mm -hmm. have these layers of deniability. But uh, I think that this case is a really good illustration of, of and this happens like with all sorts of different resources. Like, like cocoa is just one. I mean, uh, whenever you like people, yeah, people have probably seen those brand charts that show like, Oh, Hey, the supermarket has 10 million brands of goods in it. And then it shows uh, those are all owned by the same, like 10 companies. Right. And, and, and that reminds me of when we were, cause this, that obfuscation of a responsibility reminds me of when we were talking about, um, what it's the franchisees being responsible for work conditions and the, and the corporation that is the yeah. franchisor not being responsible. Right. It's just right. An, and, and I mean, I mean, imagine if that can get a, be gotten away with uh, like, so on the surface bullshit here in the United States. And when it's like sent through a million different, um, like tunnels or, or however you want to like avenues yeah. of production, uh, how easy it would be to just have no responsibility and just do child slavery. I mean, that's like a really good question. How many links of like subcontracting do you have to go up through? How many orders of responsibility shirking do you have to get to, to go from the actual, like on the plantation slavery up to the real parent company like Nestle or Mondelez or whatever? Yeah. And like the allegations in this lawsuit are essentially just pointing out the mechanisms by which neocolonialism works on countries in the global South. Right. Which is that even after like the colonial occupiers have left by using things like the IMF and the WTO to force through uh, privatization schemes in these countries, preventing state subsidies for and state companies from controlling production of raw materials, they use their monopoly position within the market to keep the raw material price as low as they possibly can. But even with that, which is already allowing them to squeeze super profits out of these companies by making right. sure that there's no labor rights, there's no organizing in any of these countries, that these co- absol- countries absolutely don't nationalize their raw materials because we know what happens when they try that. Um <laughs> Just uh, what they're doing right now in, 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 in case you don't know what happens it, it's it's yeah. a coup and it and it is destruction of anyone trying to nationalize anything yeah like uh, organization like, of american states uh, continuing corruption and uh, letting the ruling party that was democratically voted out that's currently operating bolivia to keep running the country that was one of the frustrating things from the capital riots was you started hearing all these liberal commentators be like oh this is the sort of thing you only see in quote banana republics which is a term that's become so detached from its origin that people just mean like oh it's a chaotic badly run country and it's like no, that's a specific term that was created because the U.S. literally forced multiple countries in Central America to only produce bananas so that we could get them so cheaply. And then and we thought is- it would be cute to name a major retail chain after it. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah, definitely not extremely fucked. Yeah. Um, every time I see one, it's it completely fucks with my head. And and you know, by some definitions of a banana republic, America has turned itself into one, you know? There's also that. Like we've kind of paperclip factoried ourselves into just like producing what logistics experts and Hollywood movies like what else do we make anymore yeah it's like uh well well no we make a whole lot of uh weaponry and oil that's true <laughs> we have a lot of defense contracts which are <laughs> yeah um yeah. but so like the core of this lawsuit is basically saying that the prices that these companies were getting their raw cocoa at were so incredibly low that they could not have possibly resulted from adult labor with proper working conditions and their argument is that well you know these gigantic gigantic fucking companies that have been operating globally for over a century uh, are not idiots <laughs> and that <laughs> they know that if they're getting cocoa for these insanely low prices that like it's not through magic it's because <laughs> there are forms of absolutely extreme illegal exploitation going oh, yeah, on the, in, <laughs> the, the including systemic use of child labor the the workers picked millions of dollars of chocolate beans just to appease Rumpelstiltskin who came in the night and then they weaved him a thousand yards of wheat into gold like <laughs> how am I supposed to believe this shit yeah I mean, like, if you're ever, like, looking at the cost on things and you you think about the actual manufacturing process and you're like, wow, the people who are making this is, have got to be making, like, minimum wage or, or, like, at best $10 an hour. And then you look at, like, I mean, even you just buying something can, like, have that vague, rec like, notion. And these are actually people designed to run a business to understand costs and how costs happen. And yeah, this is their so job. there is no way to, to and, like give them the benefit of the doubt here. They definitely know that they were doing slavery. If they if they didn't know, they couldn't do their jobs. They couldn't file the fucking reports at the end of the day. Like they see the numbers. Hundreds of people working for these companies see the numbers and are just like, "Well, I guess the slave margins are pretty good this year." Um and that's it. Like and some of the response quotes that they got from because this is an article in The Guardian, so they did reach out to all the companies. And some of them didn't respond, and some of them gave canned answers. But even some of the like lawyer-speak answers are essentially admitting this, um, mm -hmm. where the 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 cocoa uh like the the world cocoa foundation which is a uh industry body to which all these companies belong to previously had made a promise in 2000 to to phase out uh child labor by 2001 then they made another promise to phase it out by 2005 oh and now they're saying like Climate and change now, agreements. <laughs> now they're aiming to achieve an elimination of child labor by 2025. Child and labor should have been eliminated a hundred <laughs> years ago, probably <laughs> earlier. Like so, I mean, like where? I mean, the the, the reluctance. Is, I mean, I, I could say where is the reluctance? It's specifically. I mean, we, we don't. We already went over that. But like, it's very easy to um to get rid of slavery and that's by uh hiring adults and paying them a good wage yeah um <laughs> well let's move on from the incredibly uh upsetting topic of child slavery to the right also Other incredibly upsetting slavery. topic but maybe slightly less so of prison labor um, right. Just because yeah, it's not children, that's the only thing I can say for its benefit. Right. And the <laughs> reason why I, 
I thought that is this this some of this is uh, focusing on some articles from like last summer, but uh, I thought that it was really important to take this example of of like slavery uh like that is connected to the west but in africa and and kind of bring it back to like what we see as slavery in like literally within the borders of our nation right uh, the united states and 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 kind of the conditions and uh and to kind of almost make a segment because i think that a lot of people really want to know more about modern slavery and like what actually is happening to people to real people that is enslaving them and and so yeah, we I wanted to to hit this labor topic, not to interrupt you too yeah. much, John. They're making the people in the prisons make the goddamn thin blue line flags and stickers. That's what they're fucking doing. And they're not just making them make license plates. Like everyone and their dad knows that they make license plates in prison, but they're making them make the fucking Nazi flags of the of their own oppressors. Like <laughs> yeah, so like. We were just digging into some of the like numbers behind the the prison labor system in the U.S. And there are over four thousand corporations that benefit from uh, prison labor in the U.S. Obviously, including private prisons and all the contractors like uh-huh. Geo Group and Core Civic that make all the money from that stuff, and 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 even the companies that you know pri- c- profit off of the absurdly expensive things like telecom services for prisons, where you know they're charging like $5 a minute or whatever the insane price they're charging now just to, just to talk to a family member, Mm -hmm. but also all sorts of private companies that, um, have been using prison labor to produce things. And, and one of the, then the example that, that you mentioned, John was, yeah, uh, prisoners in Massachusetts as part of the mass Corps, the uh, Massachusetts department of correction production production company, which oh. pays between eighty-five cents and a dollar forty-five an hour. Um, one of the products that they make is blue li- is thin blue line flags. Of course, why wouldn't uh, they? Uh, yeah. They also make uh, truck nuts and extendable <laughs> forks. I'm just bullshitting you, but yeah. like they really do, I wouldn't like, be surprised. I mean, like they make <laughs> they make products for all sorts of companies, so it really could yeah. be that. Uh, it really could be, yeah. And you you never know what you're buying that was like basically made well, with slave labor. In a lot of cases, you know, and and not to say that people who were incarcerated for like greater crimes aren't shouldn't also be treated better and not forced to make commodities. But like a lot of these people are in jail for petty shit, you know, shit that like you or me could probably relatively easily get away with, especially if they're you know not a white or not a financially well off member of the community. And you, there's like different tiers to this. Like you have the classical inmates stamping license plates or even inmates making these American Nazi flags uh, where it's like a direct production that's then sold through a state corporation. But then you also have, you know, them literally just being rented out as labor directly for private companies. Um, they have a whole bunch. There's a ton of examples for like work release programs. Um where inmates are used at poultry plants and other agricultural uh, facilities, which we've talked about before. That's a really hazardous job under like normal conditions, much less now under COVID conditions. And so these folks are getting paid, you know, a tenth the rate, if that, of, of what a normal worker would make. So making enormous super profits for the companies that are, are renting out their labor. Uh-huh. Like in Oklahoma and Mississippi, uh, they're not only using prisoners to do that sort of thing, they also used people that were sent to rehab, pro- state rehab programs 
to process chickens at poultry uh, facilities for no pay. That's yeah. incredibly uh, I mean, bleak. Like, I mean, they, we were, were looking forward to like Portland legalizing drugs and offering uh, alternatives, but they also, those sorts of programs are still prison-like and, and do this sorts of shit too, so... You got to make sure to be on watch for that. Well, I mean, Um, imagine that you like had like a minor drug problem or even a major drug problem and your parents threw you in a fucking rehab program and they're like, okay, we're going to take you to a poultry processing plant and make you prepare raw chicken during a pandemic to help you with your addiction. Like... (laughs) It, it, it's it's like that's every some, dystopian young adult wild. novel come to fruition. Like <laughs> uh, that one, I know all of these are fucking awful. But as somebody who is a recovering addict, like that one, like just I I cannot explain how incredibly angry that makes me. Yeah, because like when I was getting sober, because I'm a recovering alcoholic, um, I was certainly not in a good place at all, much less one to be work, like just be like, Oh, Hey, here's how we're going to get you clean. Why don't you go be a slave at a, right. At a like chicken processing plant. If anything, I feel like that experience is going to almost like 100% guarantee people will relapse because that's so incredibly traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they don't care at all. It, it's just another machine to throw people in. Like the, the goal isn't rehabilitation of anybody. It's to get you off your family's hands and earning money for some random, incredibly already wealthy person. Yeah. And so to, to bring it back to like what we were talking about with um, these kids that were being enslaved in Mali we also looked well in, in the Ivory Coast but that they're from Mali we were, I was looking into like which major US companies that were aware of like really benefit from this system and, right. and it's most of the biggest names out there like Whole Foods uh, back in 2016 a story came out of Whole Foods selling uh, bags of tilapia that were labeled quote from sustainable American family farms uh, which were actually farms uh, being worked by Colorado prisoners making 74 cents a day. Um, they were also getting goat cheese from a similar farm. And, and, and this is one of those things where it's like, we're 100%, like, if you look, if, if people have to be in jail, which obviously most of these people probably shouldn't be in jail, right? and there's an opportunity for people to work, that's fine. But 74 cents a day... <laughs> I mean, and those are to, those are either eight or twelve hour shifts. Like those are eight, yeah. ten, and twelve hour shifts. That is not a not that is not a three hour shift where they're getting a quarter an hour, which is still appalling. These are eight, ten, and twelve hour shifts. And then just to rattle off some more, uh, McDonald's uniforms are made by prisoners. The prisoners also process beef for hamburger patties for both McDonald's and Wendy's. Starbucks uses a subcontractor signature packaging system, which relies on uh, prison labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Walmart buys produce from prison run farms. Um, yeah. This is that giant Victoria's list that I Secret. was referencing at the beginning that I got. Yeah, Victoria's Secret has used female inmates to sew their products. There was even one case that inmates exposed of uh, not them sewing 
uh, clothing, but having clothing come into the facility they were working in, having them rip off uh, a label that said "Made in Honduras" and then sewing on a "Made in America" label. Yeah, which is um, unfucking believable, but also probably technically legal because I think if you sew an a "Made in America" label onto something, that counts labor. as finishing it in America. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing that they do with. Uh, uh, smartphones and other pieces of technology where they'll have them made in other parts of the world and then they'll bring them here and they'll like glue the screen on and they're like made in America. Yeah. Um, then the other one that's in here, they have a bunch of companies, AT&T, Sprint and Verizon have all subcontracted out call center and telco service jobs to prison labor. Um, so the not only are these folks being paid nothing, but they have to deal with like you know, some person's grandpa calling them and screaming at them because he got an email and he can't rotate the PDF. Yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, J.C. Penny and Kmart uh, have both sold jeans made by prisoners, and American Airlines and Avis have both contracted out uh, the taking of reservations over the phone to uh, prison labor. And then you yeah. have an even bigger list following this up yeah. that reads Who's? like we didn't start the fire or something. <laughs> it's like or, or like um uh, it's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> Abbott Labs, AutoZone, Bank of America, Bayer, Cargo, Caterpillar, <laughs> Chevron, Costco, John Deere, Eli Lilly, GlaxoSmithKline. <laughs> it's just like, we didn't start the fire. <laughs> it's just, but we profited this, this from hurts. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, international Paper, Johnson & Johnson, Sears, Costco, John Deere, Coke Industries. Oh, I think you said John Deere and, yeah. and Costco. Yeah. Uh, Mary Kay, Motorola, Pfizer, Conagra, Conagra Foods. That's Slim Jims. Conagra is Slim Jim. I know that from a Twitter interaction with them. (laughs) (laughs) I tweeted at them that I snapped, I tried to snap a Slim Jim and it did not make a satisfying snapping sound. (laughs) And they told me to file a complaint with Conagra Foods and I fucking did. (laughs) 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 They didn't send me anything. I was expecting a whole box of Slim Jims. (laughs) Starbucks, United Airlines, UPS, Verizon, and Wendy's to end the list. I'm sure that that's not the end that's obviously not the end of this we actually said earlier that it was full 4100 yeah this is why boycotts don't work okay i i get it like if you have your pet your pet company that you love to hate and that you like want to shame your friends for going and shopping at that's cool like live your life but like the idea that you're actually doing anything politically effective by like boycotting one company here or one company there is just fucking ridiculous. Like this is a list of companies that control your lives and the lives of people around you. They operate in the necessity and luxury markets of everybody that you know. And like they all engage in slave labor in one form or another. Like there needs to be like a fundamental change like i'm not saying go start eating a chick-fil-a or whatever but i'm saying like they're you know you need to dream a little bit bigger if you want to start breaking down these 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 barriers in our society yeah. to keep people in literal slave conditions right and we'll make sure to cover more um modern day slavery stories um in in like future episodes as well because i think that even just through this this small amount of of exposing what is going on and there is just so much more to get into including ver- like like stories that uh of just other places in the world and um other 
ways that it's done in America. Yeah, maybe but, we should um, just uh, pick a start picking a fucking company every week and being like, this is how they do slave labor and get away oh with it. Gosh. Like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I'm gonna. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but anyway, tell us what you want in the Discord. Yeah, definitely. Um, so our, our wrap up story for today is actually about the first place to require hero pay for farm workers. Um, and that is in a place called Coachella, which actually I just laughed because of like <laughs> I was like, oh really, Coachella uh is where where uh hero pay for farm workers exists. That's just very <laughs> it's kind of a funny headline, but uh that is that is where uh we've seen it and there is going to be uh in this particular wh- which uh state is Coachella in? <laughs> California. It's in Southern California. Southern yeah. California. I um, am terrible with uh, locations, but uh, they are mandating a, a $4 pay hike for workers. Yeah. So like we'd reported previously about um, grocery companies and trade associations suing a few cities in California that had passed similar hero pay ordinances for grocery store employees specifically. And Coachella is now doing an, basically an expanded version of that where they're, uh, uh, implementing a $4 an hour pay hike for workers at grocery stores, pharmacies, restaurants, and agricultural workers, which that's the big headline for this one, because we've talked before a whole bunch of times about how incredibly exploited agricultural workers are in the U S. So it's really good. And not only that, and we'll mention this in a minute, like how incredibly disproportionately high the COVID risks have been for, for folks working in that industry. Yeah, because there's little to no oversight over the way that they're handled. So like right. whatever practices they were operating under before, which in a lot of cases is just like, hey, it's time to go to the site. We pack everybody into a, a handful of vehicles, drive them over there, and then they all work in close quarters with each other, eat at the same lunch tables and like all that shit. Like there's there's not a lot of regulating bodies to step in and say like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this because if those regulating bodies exist, they would have to prevent them from doing so many things that yeah. actively destroy agricultural workers' lives. I mean, also, I mean, just to preempt the meme review, I mean, everybody's seen the one where the person, where it's like the person walking up to the grocery cl- store clerk, and then as soon as they get there, they pull their mask down to start talking. Oh my uh, god! I mean, I like know. everybody's seen that meme. So I mean, like it's because that's really what's fucking happening constantly. It is. I work in front of a hospital and people get out of their car to talk to me without a mask on. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to like mask up and be be ready for this interaction in a healthcare facility for fuck's sake. Yeah. Yeah. So this ordinance applies to uh, employers with at least 300 workers nationally and at least six employees in the city. Um, This will hopefully cover a majority of the 8000 farm workers that live in the wider Coachella Valley. Um, and speaking to the the increased risk that we've seen for folks in this um, incidence, uh, researchers at UCAL Berkeley found a 13% positivity rate for coronavirus uh, among uh, tests of over 1,000 farm workers in California from mid-July to November of last year, compared to a 5% rate for the overall state. So they're seeing almost a triple the risk of COVID as, as the wider population. And working age adults in general were 28.2% more likely to die during the pandemic than before the pandemic. But specifically, uh, restaurant and agricultural workers in California were 39% 
more likely to die. So they're like, basically that was a 50% increase in the increased risk of death due to the pandemic. Right. And specifically, uh, Latino adults in the industry, uh, suffered even more where their death rates spiked about 60%. And the mayor of Coachella specifically acknowledged that where they said that we know that COVID has been more prominent in these agricultural communities. If you look at the mortality rates, a lot of farm workers have died. You can see the devastation. So, I mean, it's encouraging to see one city do do this. Um, yeah. Hopefully, A, they should just make this permanent. Right. Uh, but B, it would be great to see this at like a state or federal level. Won't, yeah. Yeah. Federal level. International yeah. level paid for yeah. by the United States. Make it federal, make it permanent, <laughs> right? Like anybody yeah. who doesn't make at least the equivalent of a U.S. 15 an hour we subsidize the rest of your income. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is nice, but like, uh, if, yeah, I'd never even heard of Coachella before. I thought it was just a music festival. So yeah, um, and if I be- was if I was being uh, rude by just kind of laughing at that, I apologize. But <laughs> no, that's yeah. also my only knowledge of that. <laughs> no name. disrespect to anybody who lives yeah. there. I'm sure that they deal with this kind of bullshit all the time, though. I'm sure they understand. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of finally understanding we are at the meme review <laughs> oh yeah, my god things get starting, so much simpler we're starting with a meme that is made by our 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 friend here dan uh which is a, a classic <laughs> winnie the pooh and tigger meme oh uh, pooh eating the honey meme best yeah, pooh eating the, <laughs> so obviously frame one is pooh about to eat honey and uh tigger is like sweet jesus pooh that's not honey Third frame, that's Amazon's do it without dues.com. And then Pooh just looks up, obviously blank faced, like, it's we don't need a union. Amazon is a family. God. <laughs> Pooh Poo really giving me that fluoride stare. You know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah. This came up when we were just like hanging out one evening in the Beep Beep server and, uh, just like i don't know we kind of riffed this into existence and then dan was kind <laughs> enough to make it it was yeah. really good that's how all great memes come into fruition uh <laughs> i don't know where this said do you know where this next meme came from <laughs> i actually stole this from someone i follow on facebook <laughs> <laughs> it's just sonic running in front of a bunch of like sonic enemies that i don't even recognize i assume are yeah. from some obscure game <laughs> but it's got a lot of action like the camera's all off to one angle <laughs> it just says like i'm fucking unemployed <laughs> packs a punch i tell you yeah yeah, it's very, very cool stuff. Which <laughs> you see, it's some very advanced symbolism where unemployed Sonic is running away from all of his problems. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I don't think Sonic does have a job besides going fast. And I don't know Eating how much going dogs. fast pays. <laughs> yeah, I think it pays a paper bag full of chili dogs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> consistently the worst way to, to move large amounts of chili dogs around in my experience. But Sonic seems to do a good job. <laughs> yeah still in like the, we're doing cartoon memes actually all of our memes yeah. t- today are cartoon memes we're moving to spongebob now we're hitting uh, every important anime universe yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh which is uh spongebob holding up a a a picture, I mean, or like a piece of paper from management saying, if you vote against the union, we promise to do better. And then SpongeBob looking at it, 
determined. What is this? What is this? And then throws it in the fire. Just cast it in yeah, the flames. And then smiles. I love the, the, the content smile after this is just like throwing <laughs> away the trash. Yeah. I mean, like, that's just like one of those moments where it's like, oh, this thought, no, head empty. And you just throw the bad thought into the fire. <laughs> it's yeah. cleansing. Well, and the next one we have on here, I feel like this has just been the theme of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For this show. Where it's 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 the the Lord Farquaad uh screen from Shrek and but it's captioned at the top, schools closed, events canceled, my job some of you may die, but that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that yeah. one that one hits. That and they're one. starting to even roll back on the schools being closed and the events being canceled. So yeah. <laughs> now it's just, it's like <laughs> we're all dying for people to go out and have drinks with their friends yeah. more than to even <laughs> like the, the, the already thin excuse of keeping the economy running. Yeah. And then I added this last one uh, while we were doing, while we were doing, <laughs> this is Evangelion. I did not know yeah, that. This but is I- a- Obviously, Neon Genesis <laughs> Evangelion. Watch it. Uh, but, it's pretty but fucked I, up. It's good. It's just like weird as hell. Yeah, uh, I added it when we were talking about the the taxi drivers <laughs> and uh, being scalpers, and I just remembered this meme, and I'm like, well, this was a good meme that I found recently, and it's just a. Uh, um, well, I guess John, maybe you should explain it then, because you know Evangelion. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's Shinji. Uh, Ray and Misato all sitting looking at uh, Asuka who is pointing expressively at a, at a like a chalkboard or a whiteboard and it says landlords are just scalpers for housing affordable housing is a human right and it fucking rules I think we need more memes with the format of just a cartoon character pointing at a board there's a really good Kirby <laughs> one yeah and, the Kirby uh, one is the classic the, the Kirby one's the classic the Lisa Simpson one is good where she's like walking on the stage but it's been used for so much insufferable lib shit that I feel yeah. uh, plus Lisa Simpson in the show is such an insufferable lib that I feel like that one's a little bit ruined for me but definitely Evangelion and Kirby 10 out of 10 meme formats. Yeah. Very good. Well, uh, thank you all for being here, checking out Work Stoppage. Uh, if you'd like twice as many episodes, become a patron. Uh, check out the Discord. You can find Dan. He's Cal Boehner there. Uh, I'm Solidarity B on Twitter and in the Discord. Uh, John is Facebook Villain on Twitter. Uh, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We do read them, or at least I do. I'm actually going to um, post post them for the, the other guys to to read uh after this and uh and then also check out john's other podcast bb bledis dan is on red game table and we look forward to seeing you next time solidarity forever